There's so much we have to praise God for. There's so much good. So much we can be thankful for. So much we can worship Him for. So much to glory in that God has provided for us. And this Sunday before we celebrate nationally our holiday of Thanksgiving, it's always a great time to turn our minds and our hearts' attention to what it means to be thankful children of God. I would invite you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be reading verse 11 through 16 together. You've already heard John read of the crucifixion of Christ from Mark's account. And as I was preparing for this message and preparing, the plan originally was to preach on David. I was going to do a narrative message much like the last two. The first one we looked at Paul and Silas in prison. And the last one we looked at the children of Israel at Mara where the waters were bitter and God made them sweet. And my plan was to pick up with David and talk about how we praise God when things are good. We spent two weeks talking about how to praise God when there are challenges and why we should and how we can. And then I thought, well, we just need to practice praise. But as I was praying and as I was studying and as I was preparing, frankly, the first part of this week, I came into the office and told Kendra, I'm changing the sermon Sunday. In our, uh, in our time of prayer and in my time of prayer and in my study, I kept coming back to thankfulness and thanksgiving. And we have so much to be thankful for. But if you could pick one thing, what would it be? If you could pick one thing, what would it be? Let's read our text and let's see what Paul has determined to boast in and see its application for us. So Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. This is the end of this letter. Paul has been writing and he is writing this, this congregation who has, has gotten some, some bad doctrine, some false teaching. There was this whole emphasis on you must be circumcised. You must do something to be a Christian. You've got to add works to what Christ has accomplished. And they were, it, was a, it, was a, a, it had become a religion of, of works salvation. And Paul is correcting this in this letter. And there's so many great truths in the book of Galatians. There's so many things that just warm your heart, things that you can get your head and your heart around and get your hands on. And I want us to read this. Paul's closing, and now someone, he's probably been dictating to a secretary, and now to verify that it's him that's writing and to show his passion for the message. He says, see, with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Some people had assumed that the Apostle Paul probably had a vision problem. I think it's reasonable to assume so. And so he was writing this with his own hand. And then he refers back to the people who are false teaching about adding works to salvation he said it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised but only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of christ for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh and then there verse 14 the heart of our message today but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts, this religious rules, this self-righteousness counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, this grace, salvation, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Father, thank you for this short passage and for this truth that we're going to look at this morning that permeates all of Scripture. The, the crux of the matter, the issue, how 
You have provided cleansing and forgiveness and salvation for all people through the cross of Christ. Father, of all the things that we could be thankful for, of all the things we could glory in, of all the things we could worship you for, I pray that we, like Paul, will understand and will embrace the reality of your provision in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Receiving the wrath of your holiness and your righteous judgment against our sin that we might be washed and cleansed and forgiven. It is in your name I pray these things. Amen. It's always interesting to me to kind of pick up there where Paul says, far be it from me, God forbid, heaven forbid, this is a really strong negative, that I should glory in, that I should praise in, that I should be grateful for. Uh, anything that... It, Anything other than or anything more than the cross of Christ. Because Paul had a lot to be proud of. Don't you think so? Paul had a lot that he could glory in. Paul could have certainly gloried before he came to Christ in his own accomplishments. He was a Jew of the Jews. In Philippians, where he's talking about these false teachers who come in in Philippians chapter 1. Or chapter 3, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, if anybody thinks they're good enough, to have a relationship with God and to get God's approval, it would be me. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the good tribes. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as to the law of Pharisee, the strictest sect, the one who is most committed to doing good works. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, however good I thought I was, what I could have gloried in, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What he says is that he was profitable in the Jewish religion. He had been successful. He had risen to the top. But when he was converted to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, what things had been gained to me, he said, they're, they're, they're loss. The word that he uses is dung. They've become completely worthless compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, when he came to know Christ, he was given a mission and a calling. And it wasn't a simple one. It was one that took him far places, and it was one that cost him much physically. You will remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives kind of a litany. And it's interesting to me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, these other guys are coming in and they're teaching false things, and they are also trying to get you to not listen to the message that God is sending you through me. And so he says, I'm going to boast a little bit, and I'm speaking like a madman. I'm speaking like a fool, because these aren't things that we boast in, but you need to know the validity of what's taking place. And so in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety and care for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. Paul could have gloried in his ministry. He could have made that first. His sufferings for the cause of Christ. His own sacrifice. 
and his own work, the ministry that God had called him to. But he concludes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, No, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. It is the one who the Lord commends. He could have gloried in the Christmas story, the first advent. I love this time. Don't y'all love this time of year? Are your trees decorated? Before Thanksgiving? <gasps> I, I understand that's a, a great debate that takes place annually. When, when should you bring out the decorations? But I love the season. I love when we intentionally turn our mind to this specific aspect of God's plan coming to fruition. God, who existed from before the foundation of the world, clothed himself in flesh and humbled himself to be born of a virgin, a little Jewish girl, in a stable, in a barn, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Paul could have gloried in that. Didn't the angels sing? Didn't the shepherds proclaim? Didn't the wise men come from afar? He could have gloried in the birth of Christ, and I know that he did, but he didn't glory in the birth of Christ more than the death of Christ. But not only was Christ born, Christ lived without sin. Hebrews tells us, and 2 Corinthians tells us, and throughout Scripture, we see that he was tempted in every manner just as we are, yet without sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His life was sinless. Who taught like this man? Who never told a lie? Never deceived by commission or omission? Never took what wasn't his? Never sought for glory for himself, but only for the Father. Who, who can match the quality of the life that Jesus lived? Paul could have gloried in the sinless life of Christ. He could have gloried in the resurrection of Christ. I think that's where I would have probably hung my hat. I mean, a lot of people were crucified. Not many of them got up three days later. The stone was rolled away. The angels proclaimed Jesus himself appeared. He could have gloried in the resurrection of Christ that gives hope for not only new life now, but eternal life in the, in the presence of God. Speaking of which, he could have gloried in the ascension. He could have gloried when Christ left the earth and rose to heaven, telling his disciples that he would return in the same day. Now he's seated at the right hand of God. He could have gloried in the ruling, reigning Christ seated at the right hand of the Father who had ascended. He, he could have gloried in the second advent. He could have gloried in the promise that Jesus is coming again. That one day the trumpet will sound and Christ will split the air. And all who are alive and dead in Him will, will rise to meet Him in the air. And we which remain, we will join with them. And He is coming again. That's a great place to hang your hat. But of all of the glories... Of the life of Christ. Paul says God forbid. That I should glory. In anything. Except. The cross. Of Christ. It's amazing to me. The cross is just a place of torture. The cross is a place where. Many of the enemies of the Romans. And many robbers and thieves. Were killed. And were put to death. As a sign of justice. Was Jesus just another who went to the cross? Why the cross? The cross and what Christ did on the cross, what God did through Christ on the cross, is the greatest event in all of redemptive history. 
It is the only way that you and I can know God. It's the only way that we can be made right with God. We glory in the cross. And that because it is an act of God's will, God's purpose, God's divine accomplishment that brings salvation, that washes us and cleanses us, that gives us a relationship with God, that we can even know our Creator. On the cross, the purpose of God was summed up. On the cross, the purpose of God was completed. Remember, Jesus' words, His last words from the cross, it is finished, accomplished. That which is promised, that which they had looked forward to, completed. Now we see it from history, and it is real today. Why the cross? If you're following along with the listening guide and you want to take notes, the first out point on your outline is why the cross? Because on the cross, Christ did what we cannot do. Christ did something that we cannot do. You see, what Paul was battling in the false teaching of the Galatians where they were saying, if you want to be right with God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to go back to some of those commands regarding behavior. You've got to be circumcised. You males have to be circumcised. You have to follow the religious leadings and teachings. You have to be involved in the cultic, if you will, the, the religious rituals and rites that God had established to be saved. That's what he's addressing in verse 12 and 13, where he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, those who want to do something they can be proud of, those who want to assert themselves a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ, for even those who are circumcised do not keep the law, even those who are circumcised and tell you you ought to do, they don't keep the law. They don't keep the law perfectly. They don't keep the law completely. It is a failure of the flesh to demonstrate righteousness. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. You see, in reality, there are only two doctrines of salvation. There are only two schools of religious thought. One is mankind's effort to become righteous. The other is God's completion or God's provision of righteousness apart from ourselves. The false ones promoted by Satan all the way from the very beginning. All the way from, from Eve and to Cain and throughout. And you see it everywhere. I don't know how many times you talk to lost people or, or you see things on the news or you see things even in movies and sitcoms where it talks to it. When, when this subject arises, the goal, the hope that everyone has is that I can be good enough. That if there's some sort of cosmic scale that the good things I do will somehow tilt in my favor and the bad things I do will be less and, and that will be sufficient for me to be saved. It'll be enough that I'm a good person. But every false religion depends upon good works and it makes sense to the world. I just need to be as good as most people. I just need to be better than most people. Surely a loving God would not commend me when I'm trying so hard. The problem with that doctrine, the problem with that theology is that it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And yet, it sure makes sense in the flesh. It makes sense to most of the people that you talk to. I want you to remember that the cross is a place of torture, a place of death, a place of punishment. It's a place of justice. It's a place of sentencing for a crime. 
And what we need to know about God and what most of you know and we can celebrate and just as a reminder to be thankful for is that God is holy, that He's perfect. He's our Creator. He's God. He made everything that is. He gets to make the rules. And He has made the rules. And He is holy. And He is perfect. And there is no wrong in Him. And He is a judge. And therefore, to be a just judge, He must punish sin. He is the judge that we will stand before. And He cannot overlook sin. You'll recall when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3... God's justice couldn't overlook it. He couldn't say, look, I just gave you one rule and you broke it. We'll give you a second chance or a third chance. We'll just pretend that didn't happen. Their crime doesn't seem so great to us. But consider it from heaven's viewpoint. Lord God Almighty, the ruler of everything, the creator of all that was, the Lord of angel armies, the one who, only one worthy of worship, has been defied by the dust that he brought life to. He had made these creatures for his own purpose and for his own pleasures. He showered them with love. He gifted them with grace and bounty. He gave them instructions, one rule to not break. How many did they break? The one rule that he gave them. And we think, well, it seems like a reasonable thing to do. I mean... You know, it's just fruit of a tree. And yet, it is rebellion. It is rebellion. As completely and as positively. It is saying to God, I will not listen to what you say. I have a better way. I have a better plan. I want to do this for me. And so Eve ate, gave to Adam. Adam ate. They are guilty before God. And God had to judge this. He told them not. And they said, we will do as we please. And that resulted in basically an act of treason against God. And justice demands action. For God to overlook or excuse the treason would make Him less than perfect. Would make Him less than a just and righteous God. He cannot make a rule and establish the penalty, and then not follow through when the rule is broken. But God is not only just, God is also a God of love, and a God of grace, and a God of mercy. He had a way to satisfy His justice without ultimately destroying His creation. Justice required the death penalty for high treason, so someone had to die. And in the Genesis 3 passage, we have an animal being killed. An innocent animal, beautiful animal, being killed in order to clothe Adam and Eve, in order to cover them as a picture of God's plan that would be accomplished through Christ on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God who paid the penalty for our sin. You understand God has to be just. Proverbs seventeen fifteen says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. For God to be God, He's got to be just. Sin must be judged. And we are all guilty. You guys will remember Isaiah 59 too. Behold, your sins have separated between you and your God. Most of us don't have any problem recognizing that we sin. Most of the people that you will speak to on the streets of Greenville, on the sidewalks of the West End, in the cafeteria at your work, 
or in a casual chat online will not have any problem acknowledging that they sin. Just don't think sin's that big a deal. And yet the Bible says very clearly that there's a consequence to sin. You know it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that brings us to the cross. You see, sin has a penalty that must be paid. And God the Son, Jesus, acting in accordance to the counsel of His own will, He, this man, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Peter said at Pentecost, demonstrating His love toward us. He came to pay the penalty for the sin that we commit, for the sinful separation that we inherit from Adam. His incarnation... God become man is all about a man dying for an innocent man, dying for guilty men. His righteous life and his perfect life, the one who knew no sin, qualified him, his, his willing, willingly giving himself over to the Father's justice put in display on the cross. And this is not an Easter message, but I do want to make sure that you understand that the wrath of God was more than a wooden cross. The wrath of God was more than spikes through hands and feet. The wrath of God was more than beatings being spat upon, a crown of thorns pressed into his brow. The wrath of God was more than being whipped and mocked and ridiculed and rejected by men. The wrath of God caused the sun to go out for three hours. The wrath of God caused the earth to shake the wrath of God for all sin for your sin and my sin the sin of all that God calls to himself was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ he experienced hell so we don't have to it's more than just a lot of people went to the cross as a matter of fact the day Jesus was there there was one on his right and one on his left but he went through that because of His love toward us. Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before it actually happened, God told us He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. Now we'll tell you that we can be grateful for the cross. And we can glory in the cross. But the world doesn't like it. You didn't like it before God opened your eyes. There's something about us that wants our own independence. We want to make it on our own. We want to do it our way. We want to be accomplished. We want to be good enough. And so anything that says that we can't, and anything that says we can't figure it out, anything that makes us totally dependent upon somebody else is foolishness to the world. For the world... The cross is foolishness to those who are perish, but perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why is it foolishness and why is it rejected? I'll tell you why. It's because it highlights our weakness. What is the worst thing that, what, what is the worst way to be treated by other people? And you will have different answers. Some people, I don't like being rejected. I don't like being criticized. And there's a lot of different things. But I will tell you, for most of the people I know, none of us like to be thought incompetent. None of us like to be thought not capable. 
None of us like to be thought that we have to turn outside of ourselves, particularly when it comes to spiritual life. It highlights our weakness, our inability. It's humbling because it requires our complete surrender, our giving up totally and wholly. We can't reach God through our righteousness. We don't have any righteousness. He can reach us through His. And He did. You cannot come to God through works righteousness. You cannot come to God through religious ceremony. You cannot come to God except through Jesus Christ and complete dependence and trust on what He did there. You see, the cross is a place where justice and mercy meet. And this ought to make us thankful. This ought to fill our hearts with song. This ought to give us something to really deeply, inwardly rejoice about. Just as God's justice satisfied in order that God's mercy and grace may be poured out on those of us who certainly don't deserve it, couldn't deserve it, unworthy of it, deserving of being separated forever from Him. These folks in Galatians were boasting in the church at Galatia were boasting in their flesh, their works, and their accomplishments. They were refusing to realize that their righteousness was as filthy rags, that they were just dust, that their righteousness was vain and empty. Thus Paul declares to us that the cross does declare God's holiness and God's love. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we just said, sin must be punished. It was. That demonstrates the holiness of God. Colossians, Paul writing to the church at Colossae says, He has canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. We have broken God's law. We are in debt, which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way. Our sin applied to Christ. He has nailed it to the cross. Paul came to the cross because the cross did what his flesh could not do. Neither is circumcision anything, verse 15, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What's the point of this passage? Paul had put his trust in works. Paul had put his trust in being a, a, a member of God's chosen people and all of the law that went with that. But he found out it didn't mean anything. That spiritually it didn't accomplish anything. Salvation by circumcision, salvation by religious adherence to some ritual or ceremony, was vanity. He found out the only place where his guilt could be forgiven, the only place where he could be released from judgment, the only place where he could be given life and be made a new creation was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the cross because on the cross, Christ did what we cannot do. He made a way for us to become righteous. We celebrate the cross of Christ because on the cross, on the cross, God declares His holiness and His love. And don't you like being the recipient of love? Don't you like it when someone expresses love to you and it, you know it's real and it's legitimate? In, in, in humanity, we're weak at this. I will tell you there's a lot that we can learn about really demonstrating love to one another and really communicating love to one another. But on the cross, we see most perfectly and most completely how much God loves us. You see, when we were weak, unable to do it through any works of our righteousness, 
Christ died for us. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God showed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died toward it for us. The cross demonstrates God's love to us. First John, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And that He sent His Son as a propitiation, as the sacrifice to satisfy the just requirements of a holy God. As a propitiation for our sin. Again, it, 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 it sings throughout Scripture. It sings throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament again and again. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. It's by His grace that we have been saved. The cross changes everything. The point of this passage, as a matter of fact, this is the best part. I'm glad you stuck with me till now. This is good news, right? The futility of us to get to God, our inability, our, our having to own it and come to Him in repentance and faith and trust and total dependence. And God sovereignly cleanses us and He regenerates us and He makes us new. The cross changes everything. He says, I glory in the cross alone by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Listen, the first thing that he says is he's freed from the world's bondage. Guys, we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. We have been released from the power of sin. We can have the righteousness of God indwell us and live through us. And when we are tempted... There is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and just, who will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And as we live in obedience, His life indwelling us, it's back in that Romans 5 passage where He says, in our weakness, Christ died for us. When we were ungodly, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. Having died for us when we were lost, how much more shall He live for in us and live through us? By His death, we have life everlasting we are no longer under bondage to the world we are no longer part of this culture as a matter of fact you got a new home you got a new place you got a new destination an eternal destination and all of a sudden where this world was our life where the most important thing to us was the car we drive the house we live in the relationships we have the job or the career that we have our network of friends some sort of personal affirmation we can get. Now we live to please Him and Him alone. Now He lives His life within us and He gives us the task of being ambassadors for Christ, of being those who represent Him and walk with Him. We're freed from the world's bondage. Paul says, I can turn to the cross because in the cross I'm a new creation. The way I often say this is you become something you've never been before. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You become spiritually alive. You become commissioned and empowered by
by God. And then lastly, he says it because it brought me all the benefits of salvation. Verse 16, just to read it again, he says, Those who will walk by this rule, mercy and peace be upon them and upon the Israel of God, the people of God. Beloved, this sums up everything. We have peace with God through the cross of Christ. No cross, no peace. We have peace with God through the cross of Christ. We have a permeating peace that passes all understanding. A peace that the world does not have because of the cross of Christ. Mercy is in the cross. We have been forgiven and washed and cleansed and made new. God has delivered whatever is necessary to cover the misery that sin continues to bring even upon one who belongs to God. Again, in Colossians, through Him, Jesus, He reconciled all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, I do get people and talk to people to whom this is foolishness and who aren't grateful for the cross. As a matter of fact, who deride the cross? The cross is an instrument of torture. had a guy just not too long ago pick up an old statement, an old phrase that has been used several times about it's homicide. It's, it's, it's God killing his own son. It just, just doesn't make sense. And people wonder if God were good, he wouldn't be able to look on the sin and misery of the world and not act. And you and I point to the cross and say, look, he acted. If God were good, he could not look on the troubles and the woes of men Without his heart breaking, look at the cross. You see the broken heart of God. Born and raised in sin as we are, how can we keep from sin? The world is full of sin, even if not our own. We're influenced by others. And it's ultimately God's fault. God made us this way. It's his responsibility. And look at the cross. You see God taking responsibility. You see God providing a way. Look at the cross. He bore the punishment. If God loved me, He would do something about the struggles we face and the trouble we find ourselves in. Can I tell you that He loves you? And when you look at the cross, you see what He did about the troubles you face and the struggles you find yourselves in. He brings peace where there is no peace. He brings hope to the hopeless. He brings the dead to life. He brings forgiveness to the guilty, cleansing to the dirty, sight to the blind. One of the homiletical commentaries that I have on my shelf, I, I read this letter that was sent to uh, Dr. Billy Graham. And if I knew which commentary it was off the top of my head, I didn't cite it, so I can't tell you which one it is. But I want to read it to you. I put it in my notes. After hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, this was a letter to the editor. After hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, viewing him on television and reading reports and letters concerning him and his mission, this person writes, I am heartily sick of the type of religion that insists that my soul and everyone else's needs saving. Whatever that means. I've never felt that I was lost, nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin. Although repetitive preaching insists that I do, 
Just give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance, that acknowledges no barriers of color or creed, that remembers the aged and teaches children of goodness and not sin. This guy writing this letter went on for a bit, but he closed with this paragraph. And if in order to save my soul, I must accept such a philosophy as I have heard preached, I prefer to remain forever damned. Yours truly. And he signed his name. This is not an uncommon sentiment. It's not an uncommon mentality. And the sad news is, accepting a work of grace in calling this man to salvation and giving him illumination, he's going to go to hell with that attitude, with that unwillingness, with that blindness to truth and that hope in the humanity of man. The only way that we have found salvation, the only way that we will experience salvation is to come to the foot of the cross. We won't make it on our own (laughs) We don't have to make it on our own. God has made a way. He's made a way and done what we could not do. He declared His holiness and He's declared His love. And when we come to Him in repentance and faith, He changes everything. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? Like Paul. Listen, like Paul, we should glory in the cross of Christ. So I pray that during this Thanksgiving season, I pray that today, (laughs) that you will thank God for the cross and what he accomplished there. Listen, we met this morning in a family meeting and we talked about ways that we could get the congregation beyond the walls of the church into the community. And we have a lot of good ideas. God has more. And we want to do programmatic things. We want to do structured and ministry things. But can I tell you that the call to be an ambassador for Christ is not so much a program or a plan. We use those things to equip and train and deploy people. But it is a passion that God places on our heart. Having been the recipient of love, we display this love to others. Having heard this good news and received this good news, we share this good news to others. And as a church, yes, we want to be equipped. And yes, we want to have things that we plan and engage people in. But this is a task that we get to do day by day, week by week, hour by hour, opportunity by opportunity, conversation by conversation. What are you thankful for? I am thankful for the cross of Christ. Why would you be thankful for the cross? I'm thankful for the cross because there, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin. Something I could not do. He, in His righteousness, made a way for me to know God. This is a message that we thank God for, but it is also a message that we proclaim. It's a message that we share. It's a message that should fill our hearts, should fill our mouths, and should be evidenced in our lives. So I pray and ask that you join with me in thanking God for the cross. Father, thank you. I pray that even though some of us have many things that we could glory in, we could glory in the feats of our flesh or what little taste of goodness that we can put on display for the world, 
that ultimately that is worthless and vanity. As a matter of fact, it's worse than that. It's deceit and it's damnation. And so help us to not glory in ourselves. Help us to not put anything on ourselves, but rather to glory in the cross of Christ. To glory in the fact and the truth of your salvation. To glory in your Son who left heaven to come to earth and clothed himself, clothed himself in human flesh and as a man to die for men, as a human to die for humans, that he might bring many sons to glory. Father, for those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we've been made you, fill our hearts with gratitude and fill our mouths with the gospel. Father, for those who don't know you, not been there, for those to whom this is still foolishness, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will open their eyes, that you will soften their hearts, that you will break down the barriers and break down the walls that have been established through culture and through self and through flesh, and that by your love and by your Spirit you will bring them life everlasting. We love you and we're grateful. In your name I pray together. Amen.